But right now, today, uh, I thought this is a good time. We're going to have communion at the end of the service. And so I want to talk specifically about communion. I just want to talk a little bit about that. These are things that, that in the past we've talked about sometimes, but these are things that bear repeating because this is so important, uh, what's going on here. And so let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 to 34. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you have it on your, on your phone, cell phone, you can, you can go there also, or you can just listen, and I will, uh, I will read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 to 34. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each one of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of, of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick. A number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned by the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. And if anyone is hungry, he should go home so that you may meet together, so that when you meet together, it will not result in judgment. Now, there's a lot here, and we're not going to try to grab all of it and unpack all of it. But there are some things that are important for us, I think. Because oftentimes, we do things like automatically. We get on autopilot. We do things without even really thinking about what we're doing. Um, and that's where sometimes, you know, we get these things, we call them traditions. And, and they're not bad things. It's just so easy with traditions for them to become an unthinking thing. Now, Jesus oftentimes criticized the traditions that the Pharisees were, 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 uh, were teaching everyone because he was saying the problem is those traditions are not based on Scripture. Those are the traditions of men. But some traditions are incredibly important. And this is one of them. It's what Jesus said, I want you to do this. This, I'm setting this up, and it's going to happen. All, I want you to do it. I want you to do it. But what does that mean today to us then? Well, I often try to think about it this way. I think about Jesus. I try to put myself in his shoes. He's had three years of public ministry. He surrounds himself at a table with his closest followers, his friends, the ones he's poured his life into. He's given everything he can to them. He's trained them. He's equipped them to carry on the message for generations to come. And so he looks at them knowing that this is his last moment with all of them gathered together like this. And what would you do? What would you do at a time like that? Well, you want to communicate something. You want to give them something to remember you by. This is what we're doing right now. And you say some special words oftentimes. And that's what's going on in Jesus' mind as he institutes this sacrament for us. He looked at those that he loved most. And he did something incredibly special. So I want you to see four things from this passage. First of all, this connects the present 
to the past. It connects the night that Jesus was betrayed. We go back to them, we think about that. We think about that's a Passover meal. And for the Jews, the Passover was the most important moment of the year. And what would happen? They'd gather for this meal and one of the children would ask, it was kind of this ritual thing almost, why is this night different from all other nights? And then the father would begin to teach why this night is different from all other nights. We were slaves and God decided to set us free. And then he would describe the story and the idea that there was judgment. Judgment had to come. And the Israelites, uh, God, the uh, angel of death came and they were saved if they had slaughtered a lamb and put the blood on the posts of the door. That was the sign that they would be saved. And so G- that Passover was instituted and Jesus is doing the Passover, but he's changing it some. Instead of saying about the bread, this is the bread of our affliction in the wilderness, which is in every Passover meal, Jesus said, this bread is my body, my affliction, broken for you. And Isaiah and all the prophets, they knew about this. They wrote about this. And it looks like, as far as we can see, every, we know in every Passover meal there was lamb But there's no mention here that there was lamb. There's no mention in in the Gospels that there was any lamb at that meal. It just mentions the bread and dipping it. And so I wonder if maybe what's going on there is that Jesus is saying, I'm the lamb. I'm the lamb. When Isaiah wrote and the prophets wrote, they knew those little woolly uh, bipeds, quadrupeds, I guess. Um, I was not a biology major. Um, they knew they didn't take away the sins of the world. They didn't do, this didn't happen permanently. He says, he says in Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he was not opening his mouth. This is that suffering servant that Isaiah points to that is the direct correlation with Jesus Christ. He became the lamb that was sacrificed. And on the night of betrayal, he said, it's me. I'm that lamb. I take away the sin of the whole world. He told them, my death is the climactic event of every sacrifice that has happened in history. That's what it's pointing towards. Every sacrifice that has ever happened in the temple was pointing towards this night, this event. Every liberation, every prophet, every priest, every king, they've all been pointing to me. Because tonight, I'm going to save you, not just from some problem, not just like you want to be saved from the Romans or slavery or whatever. Those are too small. Jesus is saying, tonight, I'm saving you from sin and death the greatest slavery that there is, and that humbles us and it lifts us up at the same time. It humbles us because Jesus had to deal with our sins. It's interesting, uh, Franz Kafka, um, I some time to time read him, and uh, he had a great quote. He's a brilliant man. He's an atheist. And he said, I don't believe in sin. I don't believe in guilt. And yet, Something is wrong with us. He said, I don't believe in sin and guilt, and yet there is something wrong with the human race. See, he didn't believe in God, but he could see it. He saw 
what needed to be corrected. Jesus said, that's what I came for. That's what I came for. And so it humbles us because he had to deal with our sins, but it lifts us up. You know, you may feel worthless, but Jesus decided you were worth dying for. You were worth it to him. And so when we take the bread and we take the cup this morning, there is a direct connection between right now and that night. It connects the past and the present, all right? Secondly, it connects the soul to God, the heart to God. He says, this is my body. He says, this is my blood. He puts something in their hand. You, we put something in our hand. It's tangible. You see the point here? It's, a, it's, it's accessible. I can hold it. I can feel it. He says, I'm making myself accessible to you. I'm giving myself to you. I'm connecting to you. See, the Lord's Supper is not about believing in general, but about communion, a union intimately with another person, a deep connection. And what's the nature of that con connection? Now, a lot of people have different ideas. A lot, there's a lot of theologians that argue about this. And we can disagree and still be respectful with each other. But this is a symbol, he says, of what I'm about to do for you. It's a symbol of what is about to happen. And he's saying, when my death happens, you'll connect it. You'll understand it. This is what this is about. Because at the point, when we, we just finished up the book of John not too long ago, and we remember when we were there, the, the disciples just could not figure out what was going on. They were having trouble. And Jesus had already told them, there's some of these things, they're going to be clear later. And he knew. He talked about the blood and the body, and they were scratching their heads. He said, oh, well, don't worry. You'll know. It won't be long. You'll figure it out. You'll see what this is all about. And he says, I want you to remember. Connecting the soul to God. Remember. And the word remember has lost power in, our, uh, in, in, in English. It's not quite what it was a long time ago. We kind of think of it as recalling, you know, um, kind of like you lost something, and oh, oh you, you recall it. Oh, I remember. But if you think about it, if we want to kind of figure out the power of remember, take, think about what, what the opposite of remember is. The opposite of remember is dismember, right? To tear apart. And so to remember means to bring things back together, that we're a part of something, and then we're bringing them back together, reliving them. Years ago, I met this, this um, young lady, girl, whatever, named Beverly Foster. And I remember thinking, I, I like her. She's funny. She's fun. One of the first times I remember it was at, uh, at uh, the cafeteria at the college we went to. And... Um, She's just being crazy, slinging food. And is this enough for you? Are you sure it's enough for you? Come on, take more, eat more. And she just was being nutty. And I was like, I, I like this. I like this. I'm going to ask her out for a date. And right about then, I, my parents were getting ready to move. And I, and I went over to, you know, kind of say goodbye and whatever. They were just getting ready to pack up the house. And um, I said, Mom and Dad, I said, what, what, how'd you guys, how'd you know that you loved each other? I thought, what'd you do for your first date? What'd you do for your first date? 
And my mom was like, oh, Robert, we went dancing. And I said, really? You went dancing on your first date? And my dad got up and he went over to the record player and he got out one of his Duke Ellington albums and he put the needle over on the record. And that album started snapping and they started dancing. And I'm just sitting there going, these are my parents, right? And you know, when you're young, you think your parents are ancient. Now I look back and go, they were younger then than I am right now. But it was a weird thing to see my mom doing this and to see my dad going, doing this, doing the, the Charleston stuff. And, and then they kind of, the next, out, the next uh, song was a little bit slow, so they just started dancing. And then he whispered in her ear, and she whispered back, and they started giggling. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> I, I get the point, right? And then they kiss, and I'm like, we're done. Turn the album off. I just, now I know why my kids get grossed out when my wife and I make out. I get the point now. If I kiss her and everything, they're all like, no, come on, Ugh, like that. I get it. I get it. But what was happening? It was, I'm telling you, it was like seeing my parents in their 20s. They remembered. They were remembering. They were reliving an event in the past and bringing it to right now. And there's a connection there that's a powerful thing. And so as we remember, it, it brings the past forward, but also it connects our soul with God because what we're going to do is we're going to remember what happened, what Jesus did for us, for us. Not just that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, God so loved the world that he gave, okay, not just that, but that he, Jesus Christ, went to that cross for Bob Mosley. He thought of me, and he thought of you. He went to the cross for you. We are remembering that, rethinking, reliving. So today, if today maybe, maybe you're, you're bitter, maybe you're despondent, maybe you're filled with anxiety, I, I, I want to, as gently as I can, I just want to tell you, it's either because you don't believe Jesus gave himself for you, or you don't believe that the Lord of the universe valued you so highly, or you need to, or, or you need to just, you need to kind of, in a sense, remember it. Maybe you believe it intellectually. You need to remember it. You need to eat it. You need to believe it. You need to let it saturate you. It needs to come in and reshape the way you think of yourself and the way you think of the people around you and the world that you live in. And so we examine ourselves, and we remember what the truth is is about us. We this tells us what the truth is about us. All around us, we hear people, and I don't want to sound like some old guy railing against whatever, the media or whatever, but all around us, we hear people that are telling us lies about ourselves. One of the reasons why I believe Young Life's ministry is so successful is that they get these teenagers, I love how he said Chase after teenagers, you know, run them down. You get these, they get these teenagers, and what do they do? They tell them the truth about themselves. And that's such a refreshingly new thing to hear, the truth. So it connects the present to the past. 
It connects the soul to God. Whoops. And I forgot point three. Well, anyways, we're just going to skip here. Point three, connects individuals to community. It's a common bond. We all have these kind of common bonds. You know, if you root for a sports team, right? I, I, I was born in Washington, D.C. So I am a Washington, D.C. I'm a Washington fan. Every sport that's in Washington, that's my team because I'm from Washington. That's just the way it is, right? So I'm a Washington fan. And I meet other people that are Washington fans. And what do we do? We do the old biblical lament, right? We lament over our team. Man, hard time. We remember the good old days, right? We remember Joe Theismann. We remember the good old days. We remember Doug Williams. We remember when we were good, but that's ancient history. It's like, it's like the Jews in Jesus' time looking back on, looking back on coming out of Egypt. Remember, we crossed a desert manna, right? We remember and we lament. Why? Because we have something in common. And now, what are we doing now? We're like, new owner, yay. New owner, yay. <laughs> you know, ding dong, the witch is dead. We have a new owner, right? And so we celebrate because we have something in common. We root for certain teams because we have something in common. You meet someone who has something similar to you and suddenly there's a common bond. Um, about 10 years ago, I think it was something like that, I had open heart surgery. And, and, and as I was getting ready you know, the, the, to have the surgery, I was amazed at how many people wanted to come up to me and go, yeah, look, me too. I got the scar. Like I, like I wouldn't believe them if they just told me, Right? I mean, I was talking to a guy at Food Lion, and I knew this guy. We struck it up, and he said, I hear you're going to have open-heart surgery. I said, yes, I am. And he goes, look. And I was like, oh, 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 don't do that. We're in Food Lion. I, I, I got better luck talking to randos in Food Lion than talking to you. This is terrible. Why? Because there was a common bond. He just wanted to say, and I mean, I get it. He just wanted to say, it happened to me, and I'm healthy. You're okay. It's not the end of the world. You'll be okay. It was a good reason. And why? Because there's a common bond. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we have a common bond here. We have a common bond that goes deeper than sports, that goes deeper than sickness, that goes deeper than any tragedy we've been in, even though some tragedies are horrific. I understand that. But we know the greatest news in the world we have the greatest gift in the world, and yet we often don't, like, don't act like we have anything in common. And yet, it's the greatest news in the world, and we have that in common. I was reading one writer talking about the Corinthian church, and he was saying it's so awesome that the Corinthian church was such a mess. And I was like, okay. And then he said, because we learn how to deal with messes. And churches that start to grow become messy at times. So be thankful for 1 Corinthians. And I said, okay, that's a good, that's a good idea. But they were a mess. They had egos. They had strife. They had conflicts and, and divisions. It affected their service. It affected when the service was done. They would, they would typically, the early church would do communion. It would be a full meal. They'd sit down for a meal. Then they'd just stop in the middle of it and have a worship and then continue to eat. But what happened there? Well, what happened there in verse 20 tells us that some people gobbled it up. They just ate, ate like pigs and, and were disdainful and had attitudes towards others. Some people had enough 
Some people had enough to get full and get drunk. And some people went hungry. So they're doing a whole meal and there's some people that don't have any food or hardly any food. And they're waiting for that worship time where they celebrate what Jesus Christ has done while other people are stuffing their faces. It's a community meal and some people refuse to share. And as a consequence, Paul uses in this passage some extremely harsh language. He says, this is not the Lord's Supper. You're eating and drinking judgment on yourself. Why? Because it goes against the heart of the gospel that you are saved by grace, not by works. You're saved by what Christ has done, not by what you do. And what does that do? We talked about this at the very beginning of the service. It levels the playing field. We're all sinners. Pedigree doesn't matter. Background doesn't matter. Paul tells him in Christ, there's neither slave nor free, Greek nor Jew, male nor female. That stuff doesn't, we're equal here. And God taught this. He teaches this from the very beginning. And he brings it out in this because this springs out of the character of God. He's no respecter of persons. And so if there's divisions, what causes them? What's going on here? Pride. We judge people. We treat them differently. And it's just a matter of pride. And so Paul speaks very, very strongly to them. He says, I want you to know, this is causing problems for you guys. There are people who are sick because they have been so bad. They've been so, so judgmental towards people in the community, in the, in, in the church. So what does this mean practically for us? Well, it means this. If this morning there's someone you're not speaking to because you're so mad at them, maybe somebody you're harboring, harboring a grudge against because you're mad, maybe somebody you're bitter against, even hoping that, you know, they get their come up and bad things happen to them. What that means is that you may believe you're a sinner saved by grace, but you're not living it. You can't maintain a grudge and bitterness against someone if you realize that if God did that against you, you'd be toast. You'd have no hope if God decided to hold a grudge against you. And so then if you pick up the bread and the cup and you go out and you keep, just keep being bitter, you're not remembering, Paul says you're judging yourself. And I know what oftentimes happens then in a situa situation like this is somebody will say, Bob, I'm struggling with someone, so, so should I not take communion? And I'm like, no, I think there's a better way here. Repent. Say, God, when I leave this place, I'm going to take concentrated efforts to get this situation right. If I need to ask forgiveness to someone, I promise to ask forgiveness. If I need to forgive someone, I'm gonna forgive them. If I need to take steps to make certain situ a situation right, I will begin taking those steps. I promise that before you. And then take communion to seal that promise. Say, look, I'm, I'm willing to try to heal this situation. But if you say, no, I am not willing to heal this situation. I am not willing to offer forgiveness someone. someone. I am not willing to forgive someone. And remember again, forgiveness doesn't mean consequences don't come into play. Forgiveness is the personal side of it. But if you say, no, I'm, going to, I'm planning on harboring this and being bitter, don't take communion. I would just say don't take communion because you're asking. It's like you're daring God. All right, 
Last one. Connects the present to the past, connects the soul to God, connects individuals to community, connects your life story to the future. And so he says, and so he says we examine ourselves. We look at our life story. We think about this. I, I recognize that I need to do this. I need to do this because I can become caught up in the trappings of being a pastor and caught up in the expectations of being a pastor and, and end up not being honest in my walk for fear of what others will think of me. What will people think? I can be a full-time pastor and a part-time follower of Jesus Christ. And, and honestly, this is something we all have to deal with at times. You might be a full-time business person and a part-time follower of Christ, a full-time student and a part-time follower of Christ, a full-time mom or a full-time dad and a part-time follower of Christ. We have to examine ourselves. What do we see when we look in? And, and I know for some, you'll say, wow, I've been messing up. And so let today, let communion be an act of repentance as you see what Jesus did for you. His blood was shed to wash away those sins. For some, you may be saying, wow, God is doing awesome things in my life right now. Then let this become an act of worship, an act of thankfulness, saying, because of what you've done, I'm thanking you. And I know for some people here, you may be hurting very deeply right now, and you don't know what to do. It's like, this is so hard. I don't know what to do. It's a desperate time. This is a time to cling to God and to pray and to lament. We've talked about that lamenting before. This is a time where it emphasizes that Jesus Christ understands the depths of your pain. He understands the depths of your pain. He's been through betrayal by friends and family. He's, been, been, he's experiencing on the cross an agony that eclipses any agony we can ever remember. He's been through the pain that you're experiencing. And so he says, I'm with you. I know how this feels. That's a powerful thing. And then it tells us, it mentions in verse 26, that we proclaim the Lord's death until we come. All right? We proclaim the Lord's death until we come. What's happening? What's it looking towards? There's a supper coming. This was the last supper, but yet there's one more. There's one more at the end of time. Scripture calls it the wedding supper of the Lamb, the feast of the Lamb, where all our longings, all our sorrows, all our pain will be gone. We will be full, full of the grace and glory of God. We will be completely satisfied. There will be no emptiness ever again. It's like, it's like this is the hors d'oeuvres for the greatest supper in the world. We're having a taste that reminds us of what is to come. It's here where God is whispering to you, I am unconditionally committed to getting you from here to there. That is my promise to you as my child. I haven't talked about the Lord of the Rings in a long time in church here. So I decided to. <laughs> it's, like I, it's like I think, oh, it's time for Lord of the Rings. That's not exactly true. It's because this is, I love this illustration. Um, in, in the Lord of the Rings, Pippin is with Gandalf in the besieged city of Gondor, and the end is near. And they're talking, they're, they're talking about end is near death types of things. Horrible things are happening. And then Pippin's sitting there, 
just like that. And he hears a horn blast in the distance. He hears this horn blast. And Gandalf looks up. And then the scene switches in the movie to thousands of riders cresting a hill overlooking the city. Oh, it gives me chills. Overlooking the city of Gondor. And then the King Theoden gives this wonderful speech, you know, that just makes you want to leave the theater and kill orcs. It just, I only, and, 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 and then they charge down this hill with trumpets blaring, horns blasting. And through all these events, Gondor is saved. Pippin is saved. The siege is broken. And in the book, because I understand they can't do everything in the movies, in the book, J.R.R. Tolkien writes that for the rest of his life, whenever Pippin had heard a horn in the distance, it didn't matter if he was angry. It didn't matter if he was upset. It, didn't, it instantly brought him into a good mood. And he said he couldn't stay grumpy because it reminded himself that every single moment of his life since that moment has been a gift, a gift of grace. This table is a horn blast to remind us of who we are, to remind us of what was done for us. This table is a horn blast that connects the present to the past. It connects our souls to God. It connects individuals to community. It connects your life story to the future. This horn blast is a reminder to you that there is a day coming when Jesus will welcome you into his arms. And there will be more, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sadness, no more sickness, no more creaky knees. We will be whole and happy in the presence of our Lord Jesus. And this is that horn blast reminding us every time we do this, remember, remember, remember. I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask those who are going to serve to come up uh, right now. Father, we thank you for your love for us, that as we um, partake here this morning, we are looking at what you did for us. Lord, help us to see it fully and be in awe of our great and glorious God. In Jesus' name, amen.